You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have part two of this Yankees farm system rundown. We've got the back half of this top 10, and I'm really excited to talk about it because I actually think there's a lot of underrated talent, and I know it's rare to talk about underrated talent with Yankees prospects because generally speaking, Yankees prospects tend to be a bit more talked about and a bit more in the spotlight, especially as they start encroaching on the top 100 list or are within the top 100 list. But there are some guys that are not on top 100 lists right now that may be in the update that I am a big fan of, and I'm excited to talk about those guys here in this episode. We're starting with number five and then going through to number 10 and then a couple honorable mentions and guys that are worth following. If you did miss part one, definitely go check that out where I talk about the top four prospects in the Yankee system really quickly. I'll rehash through that in case you forgot. Number one was Anthony Volpe. Number two, Jason Dominguez. Number three was Oswald Peraza. Four is Luis Heal. And then now we get into number five and I wanted to prolong or delay my discussion and breakdown on Everson Pereira because I only had about five minutes left in the last episode and I wanted to give Everson Pereira five to ten minutes and that's what I'm going to do right here. Pereira, center fielder, 20 years old. He had a spectacular season in 2021. Yet another breakout guy and arguably besides Anthony Volpe, one of the bigger breakouts in this system this past season, especially offensively, He is a good defensive center fielder. In fact, that was something that I spent a lot of time in this write-up because I really find it hard to be able to get the enough information on these outfielders to be able to really judge what kind of defender they are. And just for the sake of transparency, as I've gained more access to video and more access to data and those things, I was able to just sit down and watch Everson Pereira's reads for about 15 minutes. I watched him get jumps and reads on different fly balls, 100, maybe 100 fly balls that I looked at of him running down. And I was really impressed by his reads and really impressed at his ability to take efficient routes to the baseball. I think he's got a very, very, very good chance to stick in center field. But not only that, I think he's an above average defender to almost plus defender in center field. So he won't have problems in Yankee Stadium. And Yankee Stadium is small uh, down the lines, but it's pretty spacious in the gaps and in center. And you got to be a good defender out there. We've seen Aaron Judge play some center in a pinch. He's a fantastic corner outfielder. But realistically, you've got to be able to take really efficient routes. And Everson Pereira does that really well. I'm starting with the defense because like that's the least exciting part of his game. And I think that it is a really, really solid part of his game that I think he's going to be a plus defender out there. But his bat is really intriguing. For his size, six foot 195, he produces some ridiculous power. Numerous occasions of exit velos over 110 miles per hour, which is elite, especially for a 20-year-old who is six foot 195 and playing center field. Uh, we look at the numbers on a macro scale. I mean, the guy just absolutely hit all year long. 20 home runs across all levels. And a beautiful spray chart that shows that he has power to all fields. He, he drives out homers 
all over from foul pole to foul pole. All 20 of his home runs, you could really just scatter them across the outfield. There were several occasions when I was watching that I'd see him hit a ball out oppo or to center field, and I'm like, no way that ball gets out, and it just keeps carrying and carrying. So he's another one of those hitters that just gets the natural backspin, gets the natural carry, and he's just got a violent swing. He's got the type of swing and and bat speed. It's the whippiness that you can't really teach, where he's getting an 0-2 count. There was a couple at-bats that I saw, but one that really stuck out to me was an 0-2 count and he gets a running fastball, 96 miles an hour, up and in. And I don't know what he was looking for. I don't know. Maybe he was looking for 96 up and in, but even if he knew it was coming, even if the pitcher gave him the glove gesture, the little flick up and said, here comes 96 up and in, I still would have been impressed that he got to it because it had some crazy tail and really would have handcuffed most hitters. And he turns it around and launches it pull side for a home run. And watching how quick his bat was through the zone there and how he was able to just really demonstrate that barrel whip and just turn that thing around, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be able to get to pitches that a lot of people just can't get to. And that makes the game a lot easier for you as a hitter when you're able to not have to worry about those pitches as much. You don't have to cheat for a fastball inside if you know it's a possibility, which, you know, if, if he's sitting fastball inside and gets a slider there, he's in trouble. No one sits fastball inside for that reason. You're doomed if it doesn't end up being a fastball in. That's why that's a reactionary zone, but most people's reactions aren't quick enough to turn around 96 on the hands. Everson Pereira is, and that was a really telling swing to me, no doubt about it. When we look at the numbers as a whole, this guy hit 303, 398, 686. That's a 1,084 OPS between A ball and high A, 178 WRC plus the 20 homers, as I mentioned. 12.7% walk rate, so really 13% walk rate, and a 27.6% K rate. So there's a little bit of the strikeout uh, that we see in this this season so far. But remember, this was a 20-year-old who was playing between low A and high A, and at that point had only played a very brief stint in short season ball in 2019. After playing 41 games in rookie ball, he played 18 games in short season A ball, and then that was it. Nothing in 2020, and then jumped out into the season in 2021. So if a sub-30% K rate is a slight, slight concern when we're looking at the entire season, I will take that as the concern. I mean, I'm not even concerned about it because, like I said earlier, I saw him get to balls that most hitters just cannot get to, and that was impressive enough to me. I also don't see a ton of swing and miss in his game. He has a very repeatable swing. He seems to control his body well. I don't see him getting caught in between or getting overmatched and just blown by with fastballs, as I mentioned earlier. And I also don't see these crazy lunging, terrible swings at breaking balls that show me he doesn't have the pitch recognition. What I see more of is just an over-aggressive approach, where at times he's just hacking at pitches that he probably shouldn't. Uh, When he swings at the curveball in the dirt, it doesn't look like he's fooled as much as he was just already in swing mode. And that's what I really saw with Pereira. It just seemed like he was always in swing mode, which is ironic because he still was able to maneuver and work a decent amount of walks, which it seemed like he would just go through spurts. Sometimes he was patient, waited for his pitch, and had the good approach. And then other times he erased his hitter's counts by just being way too aggressive. Well, he's a 20-year-old. It's not that big of a deal, and he still was able to keep that K rate under 30% and offset it with a really solid walk rate between the two levels. He had some bad batted ball luck in high A, which he's going to be a guy that's going to have a higher 
BABIP in general, you know, batting average on balls in play because he's an above average runner. I give him a 55 uh, with the run tool and because he hits the ball so darn hard. I mean, he's well above average in the exit velocity department, as I mentioned. He has no problem breaking 110 uh, on the exit velocity department. So he has a lot of things working for him. The BABIP was crazy low in high A. He still produced really well. I think the K rate's going to normalize even if he gets up to double A. Maybe there's a little bit of a learning curve, but I think he's going to come around pretty quickly because, again, he has much more time to hit than the average guy because of how simple his swing is, how quick he is to the ball. And I always talk about it with Spencer Torkelson, how how Torkelson's so quick to the baseball that it gives him more time to make decisions. I think Pereira has that kind of speed, that kind of bat speed and whippiness. And as he starts to realize that, He'll also come to realize that he has more time to make decisions, doesn't have to be uber aggressive, and can be a bit more patient. But I think he knows that he can get to any pitch. I mean, I'm watching him hit balls that are on the outside corner, the other way over the wall, I'm watching him turn around middle in pitches, I'm watching him turn around pitches that are off the inside corner and putting it out. And he has that confidence, which I love. But, you know, as you get up to the upper levels, they're going to pick on that and pick on that and try to get you to get yourself out. And that's something to watch as we move forward. But he has shown that he can work the walks. He has shown that he has the bat-to-ball skills. It's just more about general approach, and I think he's going to be able to do that. He has the unteachable things, and the teachable things will continue to develop. And that's why I think it's crazy that Everson Pereira is not a consensus top 100 guy. I can tell you in our update, he will be a top 100 guy at JustBaseball.com. And by the way, I realized I did not hyperlink the article in the last episode, and I apologize for that. So the article with all of the scouting grades on these Yankees prospects are hyperlinked in this description of the podcast. So I apologize about that in the last episode. But yeah, this is a guy that I honestly am as optimistic on him as any prospect in the Yankee system, not named Anthony Volpe. The kid really is that good. And again, still just 20 years old and will be slated for double A. You pair that with the fact that he's an above average runner and an above average defender, potentially plus defender in center field. This is a guy that could be uh, not only a top 100 prospect, could end up being a top 50 prospect as he continues to develop. So definitely a lot to like there with Everson Pereira. Really just needs that uh, approach to continue to improve a little bit. Another guy that I find myself just higher on, I think, than everybody else. And it's fun to talk about these players because... I get to lay out more of a case uh, for these guys and get to try to convince you as to why I am this high on them, rather than just talking about, which is still fun, by the way, but rather than just saying, yeah, Julio Rodriguez is incredible and explaining why we both agree how he's incredible, I want to kind of try to sell you Ken Waldachuk as well. And Ken Waldachuk did a good enough job of selling himself this past year. I don't think anybody's denying uh, the numbers or the strikeout numbers and, and just everything he did this past season. The guy was absolutely spectacular. Between high A and double A, Waldachuk pitched to a 3.03 ERA, struck out 13.3 batters per nine. He did walk four per nine, so that's something to watch. Opponents hit under 200 against him, a buck 92, whip of 1.15, which would have been way lower if it weren't for the walks. Nobody was really hitting him very often. When you're striking out 36% of the hitters you face, I mean, you're going to be in good shape, just needs to cut down the walks because you don't want to walk 11% of the hitters you face as well. Uh, but but I'll get to that in a second. What's really impressed me, the, the swing and miss stuff, I know some people look at a guy just racking up a crazy amount of swings and misses in high A, and they say, okay, well, he's just more advanced than the guys he's facing. He's just really more polished than them. And that was a, a fair view because Waldachuk was somebody that had a little bit more under his belt 
as a college arm who had pitched a little bit in professional baseball in 2019 after having a full collegiate career at St. Mary's, but this is still somebody that has just high-end stuff and a really good baseline that is built on ridiculous deception, and that's why I really, really like Ken Waldachuk. He reminds me a little bit of Trevor Rogers with that built-in deception, and that was somebody that, if you remember, before this past season, I was saying, keep an eye out for Trevor Rogers, even if the pitch profile is not quite elite, like he's not having the most wipe-out insane stuff ever, his arsenal plays off of its off of itself perfectly, and his deception, his built-in deception, complements the arsenal even more. So if it's an above-average fastball, it's plus. If it's an above-average changeup, it's plus. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with Ken Waldachuk. He hides the ball really well. His arm is the last thing to come forward, and it's like a slingshot. It comes in on you right away. And that's something similar that we saw with Trevor Rogers. And Waldachuk has a, a deep arsenal of pitches. For Rogers, it's the fastball and changeup that work really well off of each other. And then he also mixes in the slider. For Waldachuk, his fastball is his bread and butter. It's fantastic, similar to Rogers. High spin pitch that Rogers gets it up to 96. Waldachuk is more in the low 90s range, but racks up 2,500 RPMs, which is way above average. And it just flies out of his hand. So with him hiding it well and the high spin, it's just a really hard pitch to hit. And it's one of those invisibles. It's it's like an invisible fastball that just teleports to the plate. It's a headache for lefties or righties. And when you have that baseline where you have a fastball that hitters have to really be wary of and worry about, then the rest of your stuff plays up well too. I'll paint a picture for you. You're a right-handed hitter. And Waldachuk, by the way, I'll, I'll explain the rest of his arsenal, then I'll paint that picture. He's got an above-average curveball. He's got an above-average, average to above-average slider, and then an average to above-average changeup. So I would give a plus grade on the fastball and then two above-average pitches, average pitch on the changeup. So the arsenal is pretty balanced across the board. You're a right-handed hitter. Imagine this picture. And Waldachuk throws you this 92-mile-an-hour fastball that you didn't see until the last five feet, and you either swung really late or took it for a strike, and you're like, whoa, that got in on me quickly. Now you're geared up for another heater. You're like, I didn't even see that out of his hand, and now I need to be ready for the fastball. And he throws you a changeup, but you don't see the ball again until late, and you pull the trigger, and it just fades right under your barrel. Because even though the changeup's not plus in you know pitch design, I guess, or uh, the pitch data, it moves enough. It's a good changeup. It's solid enough. And if you're that geared up for the fastball, it does the trick. Now you swung through that and it's 0-2. Now what is coming? It could be a curveball, which you haven't even seen yet. Or he could go back to the fastball that you didn't even really pull a trigger at because it was just insanely quick and teleported into the catcher's glove, or he could go to the changeup again. You're worried about three different speeds here as a right-handed hitter, and he can have his way with you there. Let's say you're a left-handed hitter. And the reason why I'm giving these exact various, it sounds very specific, is because I watched so many at-bats where this exact thing happened. And a really good way to, to gauge pitchers, too, is, yeah, you see 90 to 92 or 93, but if you see a hitter reaction that is just really off, if you see hitters taking horrible check swings or just looking almost rushed at the plate, and it's not just one guy. I mean, these are a lot of really good double-A hitters that I saw this from. You got to start looking at the pitcher's stuff. And as I looked at different camera angles, I realized how hard this had to be to pick up 
reached out to some hitters who faced him, and they said, oh my gosh, man, it was miserable, absolutely miserable. And it makes sense because it's exactly what my takeaway was there. And I'm seeing a lot of the same things that made me so confident in Trevor Rogers. I'm not saying he's going to quite be Trevor Rogers because he doesn't quite have that length and quite have that extension, even though he is 6'4 and has a decent amount of reach and extension. He's just not quite on the Trevor Rogers 96 to 97 mile per hour train, but he could get there for a left-handed hitter. Now you're looking at this fastball that comes from a high three quarters and just gets in on you even quicker than it would for a right-handed hitter. But then you also have to worry about now a curveball that bends, looks like it's coming at your front hip and just bends right into the strike zone. And then he could go change up because it looks just like a fastball and then darts in under your hands. Or he could go to a slider, which just is harder than the curveball and looks like a fastball out of his hand and just sweeps across the plate. I'm not wanting to face this guy at all. It's definitely a more comfortable at-bat for a righty because you can mostly just focus on fastball change, but that still is really tough with the way he's able to hide it where you can't tell if it's a fastball or change up until it's too late. You really got to guess one pitch and hope that you guess right. That's literally what I was seeing with these guys from that side. From the left side, you really don't even have a shot. <laughs> like, And that's why opponents hit well under 150. Lefties could not touch Ken Waldachuk because of how good his stuff was and how many different ways he can attack you as a left-handed hitter. But with the changeup and the deception, he's able to get righties as well. This is a dude that, as long as he can get the command a little bit better, he's going to be such a problem for hitters. It's going to be ridiculous. I mean, Ken Waldachuk has that kind of stuff to be a big-time swing-and-miss lefty starter if he can just get the command to average to be a real problem in the game. I think sometimes it's, it, that deception is a blessing and a curse because he struggles to time up his arm and his release point sometimes, but once he gets that, it's going to be really, really hard for hitters to barrel this guy up. I mean, it is amazing to see how ugly some of the swings were against him, and I have some video in the article that I embedded here where you can see some of the hitter reactions to Ken Waldachuk's stuff, and uh, yeah, it, it is pretty crazy. Anytime you're getting a 15% swinging strike rate on your fastball as well, that tells you that you've got something special going on with that heater, and that's exactly what Ken Waldachuk's got. 15% sw swinging strike rate on your fastball would put you in the top two to three percent in major league baseball if he could sustain that at the highest level i'm going to get to number seven eight nine and ten as well as a couple honorable mentions in the back half of the podcast before i get there a reminder that this episode is brought to you by direct tv stream let me know if this sounds familiar you've got one device that lets you catch up on the game live another that lets you stream your favorite shows sports highlights on your phone and then maybe your roommate's friends log in for Whatever other TV show you want to watch, it's just a mess and there's chaos everywhere and so many different logins to monitor. Well, how about there's a way easier way to take care of all this and get all of the entertainment you love without the hassle? There's finally a great way to get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch and stream your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. No more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there's no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and get rid of the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Also brought to you by Built Bar. If you love Thanksgiving and all the good food and treats, and there's plenty of them, maybe you want a dessert as well, but one that isn't so full of calories and sugar, 
Built Bars are the perfect option for you. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie can have upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and plenty of protein. Replace coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar or go to the Raspberry Built Bar instead of the Raspberry Pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. They're low in calories, low in carbs, low in fat, and high in protein, covered in 100% real chocolate. Built is a great option for when you're hungry, and if Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, you can go for a Built Bar or two. If you go to Built.com and use a promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. That's Built.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. There's also a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. That's Built.com, promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off that order. So let's get back to this Yankees Farm System rundown real quick. And we've got number seven here, who is a prospect that... I didn't get to see too, too much of, but I saw enough to feel pretty good, and I like the approach, and I'm hearing nothing but good things. And it's the 2021 first-round selection for the Yankees, Trey Sweeney, shortstop out of Eastern Illinois. And Trey Sweeney has one of the more polished hit tools in that class uh, from this past draft. And while you might say, okay, yeah, he just tore up mid-major pitching, that's true. But he tore it up to such a ridiculous degree that it was hard to deny. But also, the the swing mechanics and his approach was also hard to deny. And there's talent everywhere now. And we were able to see him perform a little bit against some better pitching. And I think that really had the Yankees feeling more confident about him. But he won the Ohio Valley Conference Player of the Year with ease. He hit 382, 522, 712 with 14 homers and 48 games. I think if... Sweeney had played in the Cape and performed the way I think he could perform. He probably would have been a top 10 pick, but he didn't get an opportunity to play in the Cape. Ended up playing in the Coastal Plains League instead, where he hit 400. (laughs) So he put up numbers everywhere he went. He hit his entire collegiate career. And when the Yankees took him 20th overall, he really did the same thing in low A. Guy put up an 875 OPS, six homers, and just a 22% K rate in that low A debut in 29 games. He has a great feel for the strike zone. He attacks the right pitches. He knows himself as a hitter. And that's why I expect him to be one of those high floor guys. I don't know if he's ever going to be a superstar. I wouldn't put a ceiling on him just yet as he's just started his professional career. And he's 6'4", 200 pounds as a left-handed swinging shortstop who's probably going to stick at the position. He's an average to above average runner. But his footwork is really strong. He has an above average arm. He's got good actions. And I expect him to be a solidly above average defender at short, uh, but also could accommodate a move to third. I think the bat plays enough to play there. His arm is good enough to play there. And the actions are, you know, fine too. He's He's got a good glove and could play either either spot on the left side of the infield. I think second base would be selling him short. He's also six foot four. It probably makes more sense to keep him at third or shortstop, though he is more than capable of playing second base if they needed him to. What I like about Sweeney is that he knows himself, like I said earlier, he knows himself really well as a hitter. He's not going to go out and try to attack pitches that he knows he can't do as much with early in the count. When he gets to two strikes, he is very good at making the pitcher execute. He's not going to get himself out. He's not going to expand the zone. He's not going to uh, really give in to what the pitcher wants him to do as much. And that's something that you, you can't teach. It's pretty hard to teach. That's something you can develop over time. But to see that from Sweeney is really good. And what I like about him 
also is that he actually has some things that he could smooth out with his swing. The actual swing itself, I think, looks good. It's more the pre-swing movements. He has a pretty hefty leg kick that is timed up with a pretty interesting barrel tip that is more of a slight hitch. I know it's used as a timing mechanism, and he's probably done it his whole life because he times it up pretty well. But that little barrel tip slash hitch with the leg kick is a little bit difficult. And I also think he could produce more power by simplifying things. It sounds like the Yankees pointed out something similar as well and, and want to smooth that out with him. If he smooths that out, I mean, the hit tool is only going to be even better. I already have a, 50, a 55 future value on the hit tool and 55 raw power, but then I could see a little bit more coming in there if he's able to smooth that out and, and stay more consistently in that backside because at times you would see the, the timing get a bit inconsistent with that barrel tip and the leg kick, but for the most part, he timed it up pretty well because I think he's done it most of his career, but as you get to the higher levels and guys have three distinct speeds and are able to attack you a bit more catered to your weaknesses, that's where every little thing that affects your timing could start to be magnified a bit more. With Sweeney, though, I see 25-plus home run pop, especially with the short porch and right. I think he's going to be a 280 hitter. Like That's the type of profile I think is the best-case scenario. He's going to walk a decent deal as well, and he's going to play above average, average to above-average defense at shortstop. I can't help but think of a Corey Seager light here. Obviously, he's not going to be perennial all-star Corey Seager, but he is a Corey Seager light where the bat's going to be above average. He's going to be good enough defensively. Big body at 6'4", 200 as a left-handed hitting shortstop. There's so much to like there with good polish as well. Very safe bet. Probably one of the highest floor bats and prospects in this system. And somebody that should climb the minors relatively quickly. And like I said, stick at shortstop. Another shortstop, at least currently, but I think could play all over the diamond, is number 8 on this top 10 prospect list. A guy who had a ridiculous breakout year as well. I feel like I've said this like 10 times, but this guy was tied for the organization lead in home runs with 29, which I don't think anybody expected. Oswaldo Cabrera. I have him at second base and shortstop. He could probably play third base as well. Not that he's not capable at short. I think he's just more of an average defender there. He could be a plus defender at second base. He could be a solid defender at third base. Whereas right now where he's at at short, I think that he's more of an average guy there because his arm is a little fringy. His actions at times are a bit inconsistent, but still more than capable of being a decent glove at shortstop. When I'm looking at the Yankees landscape, though, and Cabrera's track, because Cabrera and Pereira have both been added to the 40-man roster to be protected from the Rule 5 draft, and I think that we could see Cabrera up in the bigs next year. It probably makes sense to get him some more reps at second base and third base and have him ready to be that super utility type of guy. He was fantastic this past year, hit 29 homers, which put him actually second in that department behind only Dermis Garcia in the Yankee system. He's a switch hitter, Cabrera is, but he is far, far better from the left side. It was funny because I was watching his swing from each side, and I was like, before I even looked at the numbers, his splits, I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be one of those Aussie Albies type situations where the other side's going to be way worse. And it was even worse than I thought it would be. His right side is 350 OPS points below his left side in the 2021 season. The swing is just not that consistent from the right side, and I honestly just don't don't really like it at all. I almost want him to just hit from the left side permanently. I mean, when you have a 600 OPS from the from the right side and then a near 1,000 OPS from the left side, it's almost hard to justify it. I know left on left is hard, especially when you've never done it, but how much worse could he be? If it is that much worse, then yeah, just keep sticking to it. 
it drives me less crazy than Ozzy Albies because Albies hits from his weaker side two-thirds of the time as a stronger right-handed hitter. Obviously, you're going to hit more from the left side facing more right-handed pitching, and Albies legitimately sells himself short because of that. Cabrera doesn't, so if left-on-left is just a nightmare for him, that's fine. 650 OPS from the right side will do when you're producing the way he does from the left side. And that's the crazy thing, is that he has put on some weight, and even after putting on weight, he's still 5'10", about 150 pounds. And when he was signed for $100,000 in 2016 in the international free agent market, he was maybe even 120 pounds. So he put on strength, he put on weight, and he also just has some natural lift to his swing. He utilizes every ounce of his body, every ounce of his strength really well. He focused big time this year on getting into that lower half more, put a lot of strength into that lower half was something that I had heard and read that he was doing as well. And you can just see it in the swing. He uses, and he has to use every ounce of his body, but he also is just so good at getting the ball in the air, so good at backspinning baseballs, that he's able to go yard to dead center. He's able to go yard sometimes to the other gap, which I just wouldn't expect for a guy with his stature. Usually those types of guys can get into some power when they have the bat speed that he has, but it only really works pull side. That's not the case with Cabrera. He has such a great swing that just lives through the zone and backspins baseballs that's built for just endless carry that he's able to really just produce home runs to all fields, and he has that kind of just quick twitch athleticism that allows for 25-plus home run power, and and that's something that I think is not fluky with Cabrera. He put on some strength, he emphasized the lower half, and all of a sudden, he breaks out with more home runs this year. Not a coincidence. Cabrera is another guy, though, that is super aggressive at the plate, honestly more aggressive than Everson Pereira, where he's just not taking very many free passes, and that's something that will probably need to change a little bit for him because even though he's running into baseballs and even though he has some solid bat-to-ball skills, I have him probably a 50 future value on the hit tool, presently closer 35 to 40. He needs to be able to be a little bit more patient uh, to have success in that department, You just can't get on base at a 310 clip and have success. You're going to put a lot of pressure on your power output. I mean, you look at an Ozzy Albies, who I think is an interesting comparison because they both have one side of the plate that they struggle with. Obviously, if he ends up being Ozzy Albies, you'd be thrilled, but he doesn't quite have that level of athleticism that Albies has, and I don't know if he has that quite that strength that Albies has either, but they both are unimposing physically and produce power that really is way more than you would expect from somebody with their build. But Albies doesn't walk much at all, usually on base percentage in the low 300s, like 315, 320 uh, for the most part. And that really affects the WRC+. plus. It affects your overall value as a hitter. And that's exactly what I kind of see with Cabrera. The thing is, Albies has found a way to be able to hit 30 home runs now and, and be 25 plus annually. Cabrera has the ability to potentially do that, but we have to see if he can do that at the big league level. I think a move to second base would take some pressure off of the bat power-wise, but yes, he needs to walk a little bit more. Uh, If he can get on base a little bit more frequently, then I think that changes his outlook quite a bit. That seems to be one of the missing pieces. He's an above-average runner, but the the interesting thing is is he takes really, really good jumps uh, from first base. He's really smart with when he chooses to run, he picks and chooses good pitches to go on, uh, and and he just has a knack for it. And that's why we saw him swipe 31 bags last year. But 21 of them came in the upper levels. And I always talk about how the low A and the high A rules with holding base runners on were kind of messed up. So stolen bases were kind of a joke. 21 of those stolen bases came in double and triple A. So there was definitely just a level of being able to get jumps and swiping bases at the right time. He's got sneaky pop and potential 
25 plus home run guy if he can just have that hit tool come together enough super utility hitter with or super utility player with some sneaky power and athleticism is a very probable outcome for him and if you're on the high end here you're hoping that you get a power hitting second baseman that can bring you some stolen bases as well that's definitely not a bad outcome uh, on the high end, but more likely super utility guy who can run into some baseballs as well. Still a really intriguing prospect, still young, and the Yankees added him to the 40-man roster for a reason to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. He's close to big league ready. Number nine, somebody that I've talked about a little bit in the past. I really liked him in the 2020 draft. Another good selection and a similar guy to Trey Sweeney in the profile as a hitter. It's Austin Wells, who they took 28th overall in the first round in 2020. And Wells is a left-handed hitting catcher who I think his days are numbered behind the dish, more likely to move to first base in the next couple years or even as soon as next year. But I really like the bat, and that's what really the Yankees were betting on here. Similar to Trey Sweeney with above-average bat-to-ball skills, above-average power, and a great approach. Austin Wells walked more than he struck out at the University of Arizona. He showed a great ability to just take free passes in his professional debut. That's something that he's always been great at. Just a fantastic knowledge of the strike zone. He doesn't chase very often. He's very patient. And you just see that make its way into his game day in and day out. I really think that that gives him a high floor. The above average power, the above average hit tool also gives him a very high floor. It is a little bit disappointing that he probably won't stick behind the dish. A lot of pass balls, not a great receiver. Uh, Definitely will have a lot of strikes lost if he is continuing to catch. That's something that I noticed right away. Uh, But if he does move to first base or potentially corner outfield, I think is the hope because he is a decent athlete. He's definitely not the most flat-footed dude in the world. I think he's capable of playing left or right field. He definitely has the arm for it. That's probably the best-case scenario outside of him somehow having a uh, just magic, uh, figuring it out, at catcher type of situation. Probably left field or right field would maximize his value as a really solid 20-plus home run bat who will get on base at a solid clip. First base puts a lot more pressure on that bat, but I do like his swing. At 6'2", 220, he runs into baseballs uh, pretty well. Pull side power is above average to plus. Then the power to all fields is above average, no doubt about it. Looked really solid in the Arizona Fall League. Just continues to, to show that he is one of the other high floor bats in the system. Even though there's not a ton of violence in his stroke, he just produces some easy, smooth power and has a great feel for the barrel. I'm expecting him to probably end up getting more auditions in corner outfield, and that's probably where he'll end up. Worst case scenario, he ends up at first base, but I'm willing to bet that he doesn't end up at the catching position. Coming up at number 10, Hayden Wesneski, right-handed pitching prospect, finished the year in triple A, 23 years old. He's 6'3", 210, sixth round pick back in 2019. Wesneski was fantastic this year as well, saw his stuff tick up just like so many other prospects did, uh, from more of the low 90s to the 94 to 96 range, topping out at 98. He has a two-seamer as well that runs in, just ridiculous arm side run. He's a right-handed pitcher. Arm side run in on right-handed hitters and will bury it in on their hands pretty often. That tailing fastball sets up an above-average slider really well that has that great horizontal sharp break in the low 80s. Sometimes he'll throw it harder, too, that he manipulates, and it gets into the high 80s. He had just all-around strong numbers on the season. 
pitching his way through three levels, high A, double A, and triple A, 130 and a thirds innings, 325 ERA, 151 Ks. That's pretty solid in itself, 1.1 whip. I really think that this guy has all the makings to be a back end of the rotation starter that will sneak up and get you a decent amount of swings and misses, especially with that slider, especially with that fastball, has the upside of a number three. I like the way that he releases from a high release point. Again, I said 6'3", 210. There's not a lot of effort in that delivery. He uses his body really well and is able to generate some explosive stuff out of a high release point. I'm a big fan of his, and I think that he's going to be able to Use that slider against lefties and righties. I saw him back leg left-handed hitters a bit too. That's really encouraging that he can have both of those pitches, uh, or excuse me, that pitch going to both lefties and righties. Also has an average changeup that flashes above average, and from that high release point could tunnel it very well. With the other offerings he has, I'm expecting him to be in the major leagues next year and get an audition in a starting role in a certain spot if the Yankees need him. Obviously, if the Yankees end up filling out their entire rotation, then he could end up being a trade piece after a good year. But I think he's somebody that I would want to see an audition at the big league level and could be a solid innings eater in the 3-4 or 5 spot in a good rotation. Other names to watch real quick. I know I didn't mention Luis Medina or Davey Garcia, both guys that are right on the fringes. I'm a bit lower on both of them just because of their lack of command. And also, even though they have great breaking balls, fastballs that I would say Medina obviously hits triple digits, but it's just not the same lively type of triple digits that you see. Uh, When I saw him at the Futures game, 96 and 97 from other guys just looked more lively than Medina's 100. And it's not surprising that when you look at Medina's 100, it got hit a bit this year, uh, especially as he got promoted to double A. It's just a pitch that doesn't quite have the life that you would expect. And off of that, he doesn't command it quite well. And the breaking ball is that pitch that a lot of times he doesn't command as well either. So guys will just spit on that and look for the fastball and wait for him to leave it over the middle. And and he did that quite a bit. I think Medina has the best outcome, most likely outcome of being that lights out back end reliever as he figures himself out a little bit more like a Dallin Batances type of path. And that wouldn't be the worst case scenario ever because he could be in a bullpen as soon as next year. Garcia has more, I think, hope as a starter, but has some things to work out as well. His curveball is ridiculous. His fastball is even more hittable because it's just lacks life and it's more in the low to mid nineties. He's got some things to work out as well, but both those guys Far from over for them. They just need to work some things out before they can get right back into the top 10. I'm just more excited about some of these other prospects. Another name to watch, Elijah Dunham. Fantastic in the Arizona Fall League. Don't let the undrafted label fool you because in 2020's shortened draft, there was only five rounds. They scooped him up as an undrafted free agent for $20,000 out of Indiana University, but he easily would have been an eighth to ninth round pick. And also, I think if the season wasn't canceled in 2020, he was mashing that year, was coming off of a great summer in the NECBL. I think he could have played his way into the top five rounds without the season being canceled. I'm sold on Elijah Dunham being a a decent prospect. I don't know if he's going to be an impact big leaguer, but I believe that he is a legitimate prospect worthy of our attention, above average athlete, above average pull side power, but he is too pull happy. I want to see him use the field a bit more, especially for a guy with his profile. Uh, Somebody that has crazy power as well, Anthony Garcia, switch inning prospect with freakish tools, just yet another one in the Yankees system. He's already put exit velocities well over 110 miles per hour. He's hit home runs 460 feet. He's got prolific power. It's just a matter of, will he be able to hit enough? I don't know the answer to that. Nobody knows the answer to that. We'll have to find out uh, over the next couple years, but he's 
a guy you just have to watch with how freakish he is physically. Last guy I wanted to mention, somebody that I don't think gets enough attention and is really an intriguing, intriguing pitcher who hit a bit of a wall in high A, and I think that's why he lost a little bit of the buzz, but Beck Way, I saw him pitch a ton in the Cape Cod League. His slider is one of the best pitches in this Yankee system. Opponents hit below 100 against it. His fastball is mid-90s with life. He's got the profile to be a closer, and I think he very well could be. Keep an eye on Beck Way, barely pitched in college, still putting it together and getting innings under his belt. I think he's going to be a big league reliever and a good one at that in the future. That'll do it for today's episode. Again, if you enjoy the podcast, would really appreciate it if you could take a second to leave a rating and let me know how I'm doing as it helps me grow the show immensely. Reminder that if you want to check out the full scouting grades, take a look at the article. This time is actually linked in the description. I'm going to be talking about the top catching prospects in baseball for tomorrow's episode, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And as always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.